Well, welcome everyone to our final installment of Confident in the Chaos. And today we're exhorting you to choose joy from the remaining verses of chapter 3. Now, if you remember right at the very beginning, Habakkuk started this journey in his prophecy by looking all around him and seeing the chaos and being in absolute despair. He was asking questions like, where are you, Lord? And what are you doing, Lord? And where are you at work, actually, today? Where can we see your hand? And then he passes through this process of what we might call renewed faith perspective. God gives him a revelation that he is in fact at work. In chapter 1 verse 5, uh, the Lord says, Look among the nations and watch, be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days. I'm working in your days, a work which you would not believe, though it were told you. And then he moves on, he goes to his watchtower, and then in chapter 2, the Lord tells him the vision is yet for an appointed time, verse 3. But at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. So God is doing something. You might have to wait a while, but he will fulfill his word and his promises. Then he goes on, verse 4. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. This was what began this renewed faith perspective in Habakkuk's um, outlook on things the the concept that just people people who are right with God they look at things through faith they live by faith it is faith that causes them to overcome it's faith that gets them through then verse 14 of chapter 2 that faith perspective made him aware that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea verse 20 that the Lord is in his holy temple he's still on his throne let all the earth keep silent before him and then he prays in chapter 3 and verse 2 that the Lord would indeed revive his work in the midst of the years, in the midst of the years make it known, that there would be more of an evident awareness. Yes, God's telling him I'm at work, but that, that it would become evident and obvious to those around that uh, the Lord is at work among his people. And he prepares for revival. And then we read in verse 3, And God came. And of course this was a vision of God's works in the past, but it was to enthuse him that God is going to do something new and do something in his day and generation. And it would be fearful. It would come in the form of judgment from the Babylonians. But indeed it would be a reviving work that would have a renewal effect on his people. And he's left in verse 16 of chapter 3, you remember, when I heard my body trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered my bones and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble when he comes up to the people. And so he trembled, the fear of the Lord came upon him, his body gave way. But we see that the result was he would rest in the day of trouble. You see, the fear of the Lord means you need fear, nothing else. And when you tremble at the Lord, you don't tremble at trouble. You can have peace and rest in the day of trouble. So what we have here in Habakkuk is a beautiful example of how to move from doubt to faith, from confusion to understanding, from fear to hope, from confidence, uh, from the chaos to confidence. And yes, he asks genuine questions. Uh, he, he, he waits for God to answer those questions. But he puts his hope 
his trust in the faithfulness of God. And in faith he looks beyond his present circumstances to the promises of God. And the practical fruit of this faith disposition, this renewed faith perspective, is found in the verses we're going to look at at the end of chapter 3. Verse 17. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labour of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on the high hills, the chief musician with my stringed instruments. It's okay to acknowledge your present circumstances aren't good. Did you hear me? It is all right to admit that what you're going through right now, it stinks, it's rotten, it's horrible. Some foolishly teach in the church today that it's not true faith to acknowledge difficult circumstances. You know, you shouldn't say, I'm ill, or I'm in financial straits, or I'm having difficulties in my marriage, or, you know, faith is to, to actually deny this and say the opposite. Listen, faith is not obliviousness to hardship. It is not denial of reality. And we see here that Habakkuk acknowledged the problems that he and the nation were facing. There's no blossom. There's no fruit. There are no olives. There's no food. There's no livestock produce. And of course, we know, according to the law of Moses, this barrenness was the result of the curse because God's people had been breaking uh, their covenant with the Lord. Read Deuteronomy 28 to see more about that. But by the time Babylon was through with Judah, there, there wouldn't be much financial value left anywhere. Farms and orchards would be devastated. Uh, treasures would be plundered. Buildings would be destroyed. The economy was going to crumble. We have experienced a global health crisis since March. And we have seen that this is now leading into an economic crisis some would say of unprecedented proportions, that's only going to get worse as we enter into the autumn-fall period. Add to Habakkuk's dilemma that the nation would be invaded by a merciless enemy. Read what the Babylonians uh, were notorious for doing. Many would be taken into exile and others would be killed. The land would be ruined and the temple destroyed. And what did Habakkuk do? Did he form a political or a protest movement to oppose this? Did he call the people to resistance? No, he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Now we'll see more about that in a few moments. But what I want you to understand is Habakkuk's victory came because of where his focus was. His belief was not in the power of his circumstances or of the power of the enemy, but the power of God. Now he didn't deny his problems. But he didn't embrace those trials as his identity. Whether his circumstances were good ones or bad ones. He chose not to find his identity and worth in his circumstances. He didn't deny them but he didn't identify with them either. 
Now, this is important. <laughs> to state the obvious, it's important because our circumstances change. But God never changes. Now, I think this has been exposed for us since the coming of COVID-19, whatever you believe about it. Because what it has done is it has shown that many of us in our present generation and indeed in the last several generations have have had an existence where there's been very little disruption. Really from the Second World War to a large extent, there's been steady progress in Western society. But all of a sudden we've been waking up to the fact that, oh, things don't always stay the same. Things don't always go on the way they always have. And I believe that this attitude, if you like, this false sense of security in our circumstances has bred a kind of entitlement mentality where we feel that we've got a right for things to stay the way they've always been. And perhaps in the church could I suggest that this has brought rise to the invention of a theology that teaches us the same, that we are entitled for things to go well. But that's not true. And as you look, in fact, at the Bible, you see clearly it's not true. The experience of the saints of God in the Old and the New Testament. And Jesus, in fact, didn't he in John 16.33 said himself, These things I have spoken to you, that in you, in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. There's a promise none of us want. But this is the key. But be of good cheer. You can rejoice, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I have overcome the world. You will have tribulation, you will have trouble, you will have trials, but rejoice for I have overcome these things. I've overcome the world. Paul the Apostle, it was the apostolic experience to suffer a great deal. Most of the apostles, if not all of them, were martyred, remember. And Paul in Philippians 4, 11 through 13 says, Now that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in, in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So whether I'm on the mountaintop or whether I'm in the valley, I've, I, I, I've learned that I can do everything. I can face anything through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. I've, I've, I've bred contentment in my heart to face whatever circumstances come along my way. And of course that's reflected in Romans 8, isn't it? Uh, also this fam famous passage of scripture, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are we promised an easy ride? No. The Im inference is these things will happen, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, etc. But they cannot separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We are more than conquerors through that. So our circumstances will change. 
but God remains the same. That's where Habakkuk's focus came to rest. And that's where our faith must be planted. Not in how good things are going, even if we attribute those to the promises of God. I think they are. But in the fact that our God never changes. And this is reflected in the author of the Hebrews when he said in Hebrews 13, 5, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Amplified renders that I will never under any circumstances desert you nor give give up on you nor leave you without support. Nor will I in any degree leave you helpless. Nor will I forsake or let you down or relax my hold on you assuredly not. What he's saying is that should be enough. That should bring contentment. Does it? Can you say with Habakkuk, though the fig tree may not blossom and there's no fruit on the vines and the labour of the olive fields and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Here's what he did. He through the, through the instrumentality of faith, by the grace of God, his faith to choose to focus on the promises of God led to him taking his self-control, his will. He used his will here. I want you to see the power of the instrumentality of, of the will, the choice he made. I will rejoice in the Lord. I am, I will I'm not going to rejoice in my circumstances, though I might have good circumstances at times. That's not where my rejoicing comes. I'm not going to rejoice in my wealth. I'm not going to rejoice in my security. I'm not going to rejoice in my emotions. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. Feelings are great servants, but they're terrible masters. And if Habakkuk had relied on his feelings, he'd never have made it. Why do you understand this? Because of what he knew, what God showed him of what was going to happen still ahead, he would never have made it. But he chose by his will to rejoice. And then the emotions came into line. And this is what we have in the New Testament. It's clearly taught. Paul said, writing from prison, Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always, always. Again, I say rejoice. 1 Peter 4, 12-13 Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you are partakers of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed you may be glad with exceeding joy. James 1, 2-4 My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. James was not a sadist. These apostles and prophets were not masochists. They, they understood that it was joy that will get you through. Joy will cause you to persevere and strengthen you so that you will in, endure. Wasn't it for joy that Jesus endured the cross? The cross was not joyful. But it was the joy that was set before him that caused him to endure. 
This was not a reluctant, forceful uh, kind of, yes, I will rejoice in the Lord. He's not begrudging in this sentiment. It literally means, someone has rendered it like this, I will jump for joy in the Lord. I will spin around for delight in God. It reflects what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing in everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Everybody wants to know what's the will of God for me. Well, here's here's the will of God. That wherever you find yourself in this current chaos, and if if you right now, I know it's easy for this to roll off my tongue, but I'm just giving you the word of the Lord. If you find yourself unemployed, you find yourself with a threat upon your job because the economic situation that we're entering into. If you find yourself concerned about your health, you find yourself in turmoil in your family and relationships. Listen, here is a key, not to just make you a a, a good Christian. No, this is actually a key to overcome. This is a key to see breakthrough in your own disposition and perhaps even in your circumstances. But even if it doesn't come, it will get you through. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. His legs in verse uh, 16 were shaking, weren't they, at the fear of the Lord? But then the strength of God came by grace into those legs and they became like deer's feet. Verse 19, the Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on high hills. Like those deer in the Holy Land that climb up the side of mountains. He's now dancing for joy, rejoicing on the mountaintop. Even as he contemplates what's ahead that is not good. In chapter 1 he started in a deep valley. In chapter 2 he climbed up to the watchtower to see what God would have to say to him. But now he finds himself on the mountain. Chapter 3. Someone put it like this. Faith always lifts us higher and makes us happier even in the gravest of circumstances. Faith doesn't always make everything go away that's bad. But faith will lift us higher and make our souls happier in the Lord. Listen to me. I'm not underestimating what you might be going through right now in this chaotic situation that we find ourselves in. But even when we cannot rejoice in anything else around us or within us, we can rejoice in the Lord. We can joy in the God of our salvation. And that will change things inside us and may even work from the inside out. Choose joy today. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. This is the will of God for you. So let's come to the Lord at the end of this series. And would you bring to him with me now all your anxieties, all your care, all your stresses, all the pressures 
even if you've been under the discipline of the Lord in some way, bring it all to him now and say, Lord, I lay it at your feet. I choose to listen to what you have to say to me, not the enemy or not society. But I listen, I go to the watchtower and I listen for your voice. I choose to have faith, not just to see what's going on around me and my circumstances, not to focus on those. I'm not going to deny them in a foolish way, but I'm going to believe in your promises and in your future destiny for me. And I'm going to choose to, in an action of my will, rejoice in you, Lord. I'm going to give you the offering of praise, the sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise as a priest before you. Even though I don't feel like it, I'm not going to ignore my feelings. I'm going to give you praise and worship as the God of my salvation so that you might take me onto those mountaintops even from the midst of this valley. So come with me as we pray. Lord, I thank you that you are our deliverer. You are the strength of our life. You will make our feet like deer's feet. You will make us walk on high hills. And for that reason, we we rejoice in you. We rejoice in the Lord and joy in the God of our salvation. And even though the fig tree may not blossom and the fruit may feel on the vines. The labour of the olive disappear and the fields have no fruit and the flock cut off from the fold. There's no herd in the stalls. Lord, even though everything's going wrong, it would seem with the naked eye, we choose to put the eye of faith on our faithful God who never changes. So I pray for these dear people listening, Lord, that by grace and the Holy Spirit's power that you would cause their their focus to change, their perspective off of their circumstances and on to your faithfulness, Lord. And may they come out of this this study and indeed this series with confidence in the chaos, confidence in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for journeying with us. Why not make this series known to people? It's very, very uh, pertinent at the moment in what we're going through as a society and a world. Why not spread the word on it on social media and so on and bless people with the encouraging word of the Lord at this time. God bless you. See you again soon for something new.